X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, January 26th. Today, back in the day, January 26th, 1926, the first public demonstration of television was a success. John Logie Baird, born in 1888, was a Scottish engineer, began experimenting with the early idea of a television in 1924 by using a thalified cell to provide live, moving, grayscale images from reflected light. By 1924, Baird had demonstrated a semi-mechanical analog television. The next year, in his lab, he transmitted the first TV picture with a grayscale image. The head of ventriloquist dummy named Stooky Bill. Yes, that was his real name, Stooky Bill. On today's date, 1926, Baird recreated the transmission for live audiences of members of the Royal Institution and a reporter for the Times. In 1928, he demonstrated the world's first color demonstration. Baird, a lifelong socialist and agnostic, was named one of Scotland's 10 greatest scientists in history. And today, back in the day, January 26, 2020, a Sikorsky S-76 helicopter crashed, killing everyone on board, including Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna. Nine passengers, including the pilot, were heading to Ventura County for a basketball game in Mamba Sports Academy. That day, most air traffic was grounded due to light rain. The cause of the crash? Still unknown. An outpouring of support for Bryant and his family followed the accident. Portland Trailblazers played the first game against the Lakers after the crash, and the game was the second most watched in ESPN history. Today, back in the day, January 26, 1855, the Point No Point Treaty was signed. The Battle of Seattle happened one year later. In 1855, Governor of Washington Territory Isaac Stevens signed the Point No Point Treaty with chiefs from the Sklalem, Chimicum, and Skokomish tribes. The treaty called for the native people to cede their land on the Olympic and Kitsap peninsulas in exchange for a reservation along Hood River and a federal payout of $60,000. Over two days of negotiations, tribal leaders objected to the low payout and the unfair terms, but eventually conceded. Following that treaty and other forced treaty signings, the Puget Sound War began. And by January of 1856, Governor Stevens declared a war of extermination, I am quoting, on Native Americans. Exactly one year after the signing of the Point No Point Treaty, somewhere between 200 and 500 attackers from a variety of different tribes prepared an assault on settlers in Seattle. There were few casualties. Three settlers died and 28 Native Americans. A second battle never followed. Historian Murray Morgan wrote about the battle, and I'm quoting, Both sides were dismayed. The whites by the realization the enemy would really attack a town, and the Indians by their first experience with exploding shells rather than cannonballs. Today we'll have your weekly Portland City Council update. We'll also have an interview with Brooke Jackson-Glidden from Eater PDX and X-Ray. We'll start with your Quick 6 news headlines. President Biden has appointed three Portlanders to U.S. Department of Transportation. Irene Marion, formerly Irene Schwefferman, Portland Bureau of Transportation's Equity and Inclusion Manager, will lead the department's Office of Civil Rights. Marion has spent her career helping others develop an understanding of how gentrification has affected Portland. She's ensured the inclusion of black voices in conversations surrounding safety. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty congratulated Marion by saying, this is an excellent appointment by the Biden-Harris administration and sends a positive signal that they are serious about dismantling systemic racism in federal policies and programs. Maurice Henderson, former PBOT assistant director, will now be the Federal Department of Transportation senior advisor. And Danny Simmons, who played a role in launching Portland's bike share program, has been appointed to assist to the secretary and director of public affairs. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. 
On Monday, the Oregon Health Authority confirmed 435 new coronavirus cases, bringing the state total to 138,537. That is the lowest new case count since before Halloween. This is following a trend that shows cases decreasing. The last time the state had over 8,000 new cases was January 15th. However, prior to that, we saw new cases reach 1,000 plus almost daily for a three-month period. The data correlates with the holiday season, implying Oregonians are increasingly following safety regulations. As of Monday, 320 Oregonians were hospitalized with COVID-19. Currently, the state's death toll is at 1,882, with two new deaths being reported yesterday. Now, over 300,000 vaccine doses have been administered. Portland State University announced on Monday that they plan to offer primarily in-person learning in the fall. President Stephen Percy wrote to the campus community that he has high hopes for the vaccine rollout. Here's the quote. We have every expectation that widespread vaccinations will cause infection rates to decline significantly over the summer, making it safe for us to resume in-person learning in the fall. PSU is currently holding a handful of in-person classes, has not had any coronavirus outbreaks tied to the campus. While educators in Oregon are currently in the process of being vaccinated, secondary educators are not included in that plan. Percy is advocating that students and staff be offered priority in the vaccination sequence. Last fall, Oregon's public university saw a 3.3% decrease in enrollment. Go tell theaters and clubs that number. For now, PSU will continue to offer primarily virtual classes through the summer. Former Mayor Sam Adams has been hired onto Mayor Ted Wheeler's staff. It is currently unclear what role Adams will fill. Adams worked as chief of staff for Mayor Katz before joining Portland City Council in 2004. Adams then became mayor in 2008. With Adams swearing in on January 1, 2009, Portland became the largest U.S. city to elect an openly gay mayor. Adams did not pursue a second term. Last year, he ran against incumbent Chloe Udaley for city commissioner seat four, but did not make it through to the runoff. In 2020, many downtown business leaders independently campaigned for Mayor Wheeler's re-election, and they initially proposed the hiring of Adams. Mayor Wheeler's current chief of staff, Kristen Dennis, has announced that she will be leaving her position on February 3rd. Bobby Lee, who currently serves as the city of Seattle's economic development director, will take over this role. Mayor Ted Wheeler carries pepper spray. Here's the headline most people are saying. Mayor Ted Wheeler pepper sprayed a member of the public on Sunday evening when he was out to dinner and got confronted. Wheeler was leaving the Hillsdale McMinimans with former Mayor Sam Adams when the man stopped them, accused the mayor of violating COVID restrictions by taking his mask off to eat outside the restaurant, but inside a little tent thing, and putting a camera in his face, filming the interaction all along. Mayor Wheeler says the man followed him to his car, continued to film after explaining the current restrictions do indeed allow for masks to be removed for the purpose of eating. Here's the mayor's quote. I clearly informed him that he needed to back off. He did not do so, so I informed him that I was carrying pepper spray and that I would use it if he did not back off. He remained at close distance. I pulled out my pepper spray and I sprayed him in the eyes. Wheeler contacted his staff and then contacted the police. The mayor says he's concerned for his safety, alluding to a similar recent attack during which a member of the public confronted and swatted at him during a meal. And hence, perhaps, why our mayor carries pepper spray. And finally, some good news. Both Waldo Lake and Crater Lake earned Outstanding Resource Waters designations. Oregon's Environmental Quality Commission voted on the designation, which prevents activity that could potentially harm the lakes. 
This is the second time Oregon waters have received the designation, North Fork Smith River being the first in 2017. The DEQ says the vote came after a citizen petition was submitted in 2019 to the Northwest Environmental Defense Center. Kathleen George, Environmental Quality Commission Chair, said, quote, It's an honor to grant additional protection to two of Oregon's natural wonders, Crater Lake and Waldo Lake. The special recognition will preserve the natural habitats, cultural and recreational benefits of these amazing places for future generations. And, and that is today's, today's Quick, Quick Six, Six Local Rundown. Local rundown. X-ray. It's that time again. Here's your weekly Portland City Council update. This is your weekly City Council update. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the City Council update. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty referred to this last week's session as the Dan Ryan Show as Council passed four of Commissioner Ryan's Housing Bureau agenda items. Among the items was a notable housing project specialized for the Native American community. City Council approved over $8 million in funding while expressing excitement for the Mamuk Tokoti building. The 56-unit affordable housing project headed by the North American Youth and Family Center will be located in the Coley neighborhood. The average Native American household makes just over 29000 a year, and a recent report by the Portland Housing Bureau found no neighborhoods in the city have affordable one- or two-bedroom units available for that income bracket. In addition to affordability, this building will offer a community art studio, courtyard, and adhere to green building standards. Council went on to approve the affordable housing tax exemptions for three buildings, two on Northeast 146th Avenue and one at 56th and North Montana Avenue. Currently, the City of Portland is set to exceed their goal of creating 500 new affordable housing units annually. That's it for this week's City Council update. More information on Portland City Council, including agendas and virtual meetings, can be found at portlandoregon.gov forward slash auditor. Brooke Jackson Glidden from Eater PDX is up next with an update on to-go cocktails, reactions to recent restaurant vandalism, and new openings on the horizon. Here are Brooke and X-Ray's Christine Alexander. Thanks for joining us, Brooke. Thank you, Christine. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks. So uh, a lot's been going on since you've been on the air at X-Ray. To-go cocktails have been legalized in Oregon. How are restaurants responding? How's it working out so far? You know, it was really interesting to see how bartenders and bar owners responded initially. Um, There was a lot of frustration with how long it had taken and a feeling that, you know, it was too little too late. You know, we talked to so many bar owners who just felt frustrated that it had taken so long, that they had missed the major holidays, that, you know, it it just wasn't going to be enough. But now that we're a few weeks in, it seems like a ton of bars and restaurants have started doing to-go cocktails. They actually were able to serve them for New Year's Eve, which I think was big for a lot of restaurants. Um, So actually, I think that the mood has picked up a little bit among those bartenders and restaurant owners. Well, that's good. Do you think any of our beloved bars, I mean, if they thought it was too little too late, um, like the Beach Street Parlor, for example, could have been saved if this legislation came sooner? You know, I think that the general feeling from a lot of bartenders is that, 
you know, this isn't something that necessarily saves every bar in Portland. Yeah. This isn't, you know, this is just something. It is, it is a an opportunity at just a little bit extra um, when, you know, there isn't really any other sort of income coming in, especially when there were full-blown closures of dining rooms. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the question of whether it was would be enough to really save a place that had closed, you know, I think it's pretty hard to say at this point. There are some people who feel like, absolutely not, there's no way that this is enough, but there are a lot of people who are now selling um, to-go cocktails who really do notice that increased uh, revenue. So uh, tell us more about the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, and their motivations. Um, why did it take them so long to do this? So this isn't an issue of the OLCC, and I think that caused a lot of confusion early on. Um, basically, because of the way Oregon's legal code is written, um, the only way this could change was at the legislature. There had to be a law passed to legalize these two takeout drinks. Um, so, you know, because it's so specific and so strange, like distilleries and other places could sell cocktail kits, but it really needed to be legislative action mm. that created this. So really what ended up happening was, um, you know, they were calling these special sessions where technically a bill could get on the agenda, but other stuff sort of took priority regarding the protests, regarding coronavirus. So it just get, got pushed and pushed until the special session in December. Okay, I see. Well, that makes sense. Um, so, um, uh, what are your what are some of the great spots to grab to go cocktails? What it, what anything you recommend? You know, I have had so much fun trying out a few bars and restaurants, driving around drinking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, some people do a dry January. I fully didn't, but um, <laughs> I will say that it's really cool. Tulip Tulip Shop Tavern is now canning small cocktails behind the bar so you bring home like a little two cocktail can which i think is really sweet. oh that's cool i know exactly and um i really enjoyed i had a, a daiquiri style cocktail there with um, pineapple juice it was really delicious um i had a really lovely uh cocktail from scotch lodge which actually was able to reopen with the to-go cocktail legislation, um, mm -hmm. and are, they're now doing things like penicillins that are packaged to go. Um, and I also, I loved uh, a sort of a riff on a Manhattan I had from the Old Gold the other day. Oh. So there's, you know, there's a ton of great cocktails out there. Queen Trail's a great one. It, it's so hard for me not to just rattle them off because there are so many great bars that have uh, really come up with creative solutions for uh, these to-go drinks. Well, I love it because it's another way for us to support our restaurant community. Um, you know, we I made a point of trying to order to go more. You know, I was never one to eat out a lot to begin with, but um, now I've made it a point to regularly order out to support restaurants uh, around the area. Um, so there's another another big story in the news that um, Jefferson had on the local that um, there was a vandalism of Shalom Yall, and um, we were wondering how the community has reacted to that, the restaurant community. Yeah, you know, I think I, um, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm kidding. Oh. Cannot believe that that happened. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, you know, I will say vandalization, break-ins, burglars, mm. um, they have been 
really rampant in, um, since COVID started, and a lot of food carts specifically have been really targeted. Um, I think, you know, the financial impact of uh, coronavirus um, has really made that sort of increase, and I also see that the ongoing conflict throughout the city um, has really increased the um, just in general vandalization of businesses. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I think that tensions are really high and, and you're seeing that expressed through um, the way people have been, you know, actually hitting businesses. Um, but it, it's, it was such a fascinating thing to see this specific case. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of frustration and um, it's not an excuse, but it, it has been really um, harming businesses during a, a particularly difficult time. Particularly difficult time. Um, you know, I was wondering, we're, we've sadly had to talk about so many restaurant closures and the difficulty. Are there any restaurants that are opening? Any new restaurants or bars that you're excited about here at the beginning of the new year? Um, you know, actually, it is sort of amazing to see some of the spots that are going to open in 2021. I'm, I'm so, you know, inspired to see that people still feel like they can push through and open a business. Um, I um, basically, the one I, it's, it's really sort of special to my heart, is that there is a Vietnamese restaurant called Lua that's opening on Williams. Um, it will be one of the only restaurants in the Portland area, Vietnamese restaurants, to make their own noodles in-house. That's extraordinarily rare in the United States, let alone in Portland. Um, and they'll be doing also dishes that um, you won't, you don't tend to see at other um, Vietnamese restaurants in the area. Um, you know, like banh mi that um, comes with a sort of sizzling plate of, of meats and eggs. You kind of build your own. Mm. Um, really popular in Vietnam, but not something you really see stateside. So I think that there are a ton of um, specific dishes there I'm really excited about. Um, I will also say Diane Lamb is opening a delivery-only concept that I'm actually really excited about. Uh, what what was the Tell. name? What was the name of the? I'm sorry, you cut out. Who's? Oh, open? I'm so sorry. The of of the Vietnamese place. That's well, Lua. Lua L. Lua L U A. Okay, and then the next one you started to say, and the I interrupted. The next one, you. yes, is um, Pray and Tell. So that is a Cambodian fried chicken restaurant um, that's going to be delivery and takeout only at the moment, but it's specifically Cambodian-American fried chicken. Mm. Um, Diane is Cambodian-American, and so she pulls some recipes from her childhood, things like Cambodian ranch to dip fried chicken in, and then they come with these little rice packs with various condiments. So it seems like a really smart idea, considering how much Portland loves fried chicken, considering <laughs> you know we might not be seeing indoor dining for a while. Um, yeah. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. I love fried chicken. I think it's Thank one you. of my vices. My mom says when she dies, she's going to go to donut heaven. I think I want to go to fried <laughs> chicken heaven when I die. Absolutely. That's my goal. Who wouldn't want to, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you again, our segment from Eater PBX. Thanks for joining us, Brooke Jackson-Glidden. We will talk to you again in two weeks for our regular segment. Thanks for joining us this morning and keeping your eye on the restaurant scene. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Thanks to Brooke for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.
X-Ray.